Take your Bible and look with me in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Someone made an interesting comment to me this morning. They said that you are, you know, you're more of a teacher than a preacher. And uh, I said, well, I don't necessarily agree with that because preaching is teaching the Bible. I define preaching as preaching is teaching the Bible with application and exhortation that points you to Jesus Christ. And it is at the heart of preaching is teaching. What does God's word say? Not what funny stories does John have to tell or what interesting anecdotes I can create or what creative words I can put together. I mean, there's always some of humanity in the preaching, but uh, the primary part of preaching is what does the word of God say and how does it apply to our life? So that's how I understand preaching. So to be called a teacher, I take that because I am glad that people think I am spending time focusing on the word of God. So preaching is teaching the Bible with application and exhortation that points you to the sufficiency of Christ. That's my definition of preaching. Now I'm going to get to preaching and teaching. Philippians chapter 2, look at our text this morning, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. We're looking at serving Jesus Christ. I've talked about our cause in serving Christ. Our cause is a gospel cause to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at our character that we model, we pattern ourselves after the person of Jesus Christ who emptied himself, taking on him the form of a servant. We want to become like Jesus Christ. In our text this morning, I want to talk about our conduct. And there's one word that describes what God expects in the way we live, in our conduct. And that's the word obedience. Obedience. 
Paul says, as you have always obeyed, now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. You, he said, have been characterized by obedience. Then he says, continue that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That phrase is parallel to the phrase, as you have always obeyed, work out your own salvation. He could have said, as you've always obeyed, continue to obey. But he talks about obedience in a different way. He talks about it as working out the work that God has done and is doing in your life. Please note, he does not say work to attain your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out what you already possess. Work out your salvation, the work that God is doing in your life. Make it manifest in your obedience in the way that you are living your life. This is a call to obedience. And I confess that apart from God's grace, and even under God's grace at times, the word obedience is not a welcome word to me. If someone says to me, you must do this, you obey, there's something about me that just resists that. I know before I was a Christian, I hated obedience. And I did everything I could to avoid living under authority, having somebody tell me what to do. But then grace comes in and transforms the heart. And now every day I read God's word to find out how does God want me to live? How does God want me to obey? That he's done something within me that desires to obey, to live under authority. I know without grace, obedience requires some sort of motivation or perhaps some sort of threat. Do this or else. Or do this and you will get this. Fulfill these responsibilities and this is the reward that you will have. Don't do what you're told to do and this is the punishment that you will have. And apart from grace, that is how most people live their lives. They're doing the right thing because they want to gain something by it or they're doing the right thing because there is some threat of loss if they don't do it, but it's not obedience that is rooted in grace and rooted in the gospel of Christ. God never says to you, do this or you'll go to hell. He never says, do this, here's 
10 things you must do to enjoy my blessing every day. He never, never says that. Our obedience is not motivated by threat. Our obedience is not motivated by reward. That's not to say that there isn't reward in obedience. And it's not to say there isn't threat for disobedience because God is God and God is holy. But as a Christian, it is not motivation or threat that, mo that, that brings about my obedience in life. It is the work of of God within me, his work of salvation that has redeemed me and is sanctifying me. It is his work of grace that changes my heart to love obedience because of the one who is calling me to obey. Our text is talking about what I will call gospel-driven obedience, grace-motivated obedience, obedience that is rooted in the sovereign, gracious goodness of God. If you are truly serious about the gospel, if you're serious about serving the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are serious about obedience. What does God want me to do? How does he want me to live my life? And so our text talks about this gospel, grace-oriented, grace-motivated obedience. And it says a number of things about it. It tells us, first of all, that this kind of obedience in our text is rooted in our relationship with Christ. It's motivated by the gospel. Notice our text begins with that familiar word, often just passed over. Therefore, on the basis of what I've just talked about, Paul is saying, work out your own salvation. What did you just talk about, Paul? What, what is the, the basis, the root of why I should obey you? Well, he's just talked about the incarnation and the humiliation and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the pre-existence of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He's talking about the incarnation of Christ. He took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. He's talking about the humiliation of Christ, that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he's talking about the exaltation of Christ, whom God raised from the dead, and he highly exalted him, giving a name, him a name that is above every name. Paul's saying, as you think about Jesus Christ, and what he did for you. And as you let this mind of Christ become your mind, as you meditate on, as you focus on the love of Christ for you as a sinner, his incarnation, his humiliation, and his exaltation, therefore, because of this, obey, work out your own salvation. 
that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for me as a sinner that brings about my desire to obey. I love the way that D. James Kennedy said it. He said, when, when God saves you, when he redeems you, the rest of your life from that day on should just be P.S. Thank you. That everything you do is thank you, God. It's what drives your obedience. God saved me, a sinner. It is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is empowered by the presence of God in your life, by God's work in your heart. It is God who is working in you. Work out your salvation, for it's God who is working in you. We get our word energy from this, this word that's translated working. God is energizing you. God is empowering you. He is at work in your life. And by the way, this is a statement that is true for every genuine believer. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have been raised from the dead spiritually, if you've been made alive, if the Spirit of God has come into your life, then God is constantly working in your life to bring about obedience. How many times have you said, I can't do that? I know that's what God wants, but... I can't do that. How many times have you said, it's too hard. What God requires of me, it's, it's too difficult. How many times have we said, I just can't break this habit. It's got such a strong hold on my life. How many times have you said, I couldn't help it. I'm just human. I'm weak. I'm too weak to do what God wants. Every one of those statements is a lie if you are a believer. Every one of those statements is false if you are a believer. Because Paul says, I want you to obey, I want you to work out your salvation because God is working in you. God is powerfully at work in your life. This is the reality of every Christian. He is constantly working. The Greek is, is, is specific. God is always working. My dad's life verse that he ended every letter with, you know, signed after his name, his life verse was, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. He told me that as a young believer, he was on 5th Street around 5th and Alany in Philadelphia, and there was a Jewish evangelist, a, a Jewish believer out there preaching the gospel, and dad stopped to listen to him. And the evangelist came up to him, and as he talked to him, he said, I want to give you this verse. Take this verse and memorize it. And my dad took the verse and memorized it and made it his life verse. Being confident 
of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it, to accomplish it until the day of Christ. That the work that God begins in making you alive and regenerating you and entering, entering your life to empower you and, and sanctify you is a work that he does not stop until the day of Jesus Christ when you will be perfectly sanctified before him. This is the reality that God is working constantly. The reason he is doing this, Paul says, is for his good pleasure. That God is working in you to be obedient, to do his will, not for your happiness, though God's not disinterested in your happiness. But he knows that your happiness is not found in pursuing your own happiness. Your happiness will be found in pursuing the pleasure, the glory, the goodness of God. God is working in you for his own good pleasure. So that when you live and obey in such a way to glorify God, he then allows you to enjoy the greatest happiness that a human being can have. The reality is this is a constant work. The reason is that God is working purposefully for his own glory. And the results of God's working are spelled out in two ways. I say that the results are effective. Notice he says, God is working in you both to will and to do, to work. That God's work is touching your desires, what you want to do, that is, if you're a believer, though you still have a nature that can want to do lots of things you shouldn't do, if, if you're made alive in Christ, God is always working in you the alternative. He is creating in you a desire for what is right and good and pure and lovely and what honors him. But he's not only creating in you these transformed desires, he's creating in you the power to actually do it, to work it. But obedience, obedience is a choice. Obviously, even though God is working in all of our lives every day, all week long, we still disobey. We can resist God's glorious work, that constant work, that purposeful work, that effective work. We can resist it. We can become disobedient. What's one of the first words that a child learns to say? No! Now, where did they learn that? Uh, well, maybe they heard uh, 
the husband resisting his wife, what she wants to do. Or maybe he heard the mother, the wife, resisting the husband. But maybe what the Bible says is actually true. That children go astray from the womb, speaking lies. That is, even before they can verbalize it, there's something about their nature that creates even dishonest actions in a child. You know, a child can cry like they're in pain. But their diapers change. There's t their tummy's full. They're not in pain. They just want attention. They want attention. Kids can have what I call manipulative tears. They can turn them on, turn them off. What did we learn now? It's part of our resistance to God's authority over life. It's in our nature, and grace is meant to break that. I know when our kids were young, we tried to teach them a little course about obedience. I don't know how many of you may know it. You can sing it with me. But it goes something like this. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And it is. Amen. A faith without works is dead. And we would teach our children, as the Bible teaches us, that, that obedience is not just doing what you're told to do. It's doing it completely. It's doing it immediately, and it's doing it happily. That's obedience that comes from the heart that's being transformed by the grace of God. You say, I can't do it. You might ask Paul, Paul, how did you do it? You obeyed, and your obedience cost you a lot of suffering. You were stoned a couple of times. You were beaten numerous times. You were left for dead. And yet you continued to obey God. How did you do that? Listen to his own testimony in Colossians 1. He says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, I struggle with all the energy that he powerfully is working in me. How do you do it, Paul? With all the energy that he is powerfully working in me. This is true of every believer in Christ. God is working in you. It doesn't matter how great your problems in your marriage are. God is working in you. Don't say, I can't. It's too hard. It's too difficult. In your struggle for morality in, in an immoral world, God is working in your heart to keep you pure. In your fears, God is working. In your disappointments, God is working. In your pain, God is working. He is always working in the lives of his children, both to create new desires as well as to give them the ability to do what he has called them to do. Because God has never commanded you or me to do anything without empowering us to be able to do that. And when you have gospel obedience, it will always reflect the fruit of the gospel. He says, obey, do this, work out your own salvation, do it with, with fear and trembling. Do it with this reverent awe that captures your life, understanding who this God is that you served. This God that is so holy that could never be appeased by religious acts or human goodness. This God is so holy that the gulf between he and man is, is uncrossable. This God that is so holy that cannot be approached by a sinner. This God became man and took on your sin and bore your judgment and suffered your death so that you could be forgiven. That the only way for God's justice and wrath to be satisfied was for him to give himself to pay your penalty. So obey with this reverent awe, this fear and trembling. I love that Afro-American spiritual. I should have Q sing it for us. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And the refrain, oh, oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. 
Isaiah as he walks into that temple and sees a holy God enthroned and the, and the cherubim crying out, Holy, 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 and the doors shaking. And he falls on his face, Woe is me! We live with this reverent awe knowing that apart from the grace of God, that holy judgment would fall upon us. But we obey with reverent awe, with fear and trembling, understanding that this God, who is so holy, satisfied his wrath and his justice for me. The gospel will never produce a life that is frivolous, that is irresponsible. When the gospel is working in your life and you are responding to it, it will bring about a life that is careful, that has a solemn commitment, that understands that whatever freedom we have in Christ, it is a freedom that is guided by grace. The fruit of the gospel is that we live with a reverent all before God, that our obedience, he says, is characterized without grumbling. Gospel obedience is joyful obedience. If gospel obedience is coming from a heart of gratitude that is thankful for the redemption we have in Christ, then it is not a burden to obey God. As John said, this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Do it without grumbling. Do it without questions. Why? How many times do parents hear that from junior high and teenagers? Do this. Why? And let me tell you, sometimes it's a legitimate question, though a child should always obey. But sometimes they even recognize that parents are unreasonable. That there really is no backing behind what they're asking. And parents don't have to ask the why, but they should always have an answer to that why. But with God, a God who is perfect, sovereign, wise, omniscient, always good, there's never a why. There's never a question. If God requires it, if God said it, then I trust knowing who he is, that it's the right thing to do, it's the best thing to do, and it can be done without arguing, without questioning. And of course we should do that, do that simply because Paul says, you're bought with a price. You're not your own. Jesus laid down his life for you, shed his blood for you to 
claim you for his own. No, he says we should have a a childlike, humble obedience as obedient children, as children of the living God, just because your family, you're in the family of God. Peter says that we should, we should live as obedient children. John says, see what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And then he says that Christ is coming for us and every man that has this hope in him is keeping himself pure even as he is pure. We as obedient children will do the will of our Father immediately, completely, and happily. He goes on to tell us in verse 15 that gospel obedience has an impact on the advance of the gospel in this world. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and twisted generation in which you shine like lights in the world. Some translations say like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. You shine as lights. And let me say that the particular Greek word is a word that means a light reflector. There's a difference between, between being a source of light, there is a word for that, and something that reflects the light. And Paul's careful to make it clear that you and I are not the source of light. We are the reflectors of light. Jesus is the light of the world. And in our union with him and in our obedience to him, we reflect who he is to the dying world around us. Do this, he says. Do it for your own personal testimony that you may be blameless. And by blameless, Paul normally means having a character and a conduct that is above criticism. That you may be blameless, that you may be pure, unadulterated, single-hearted, that you may be without fault. Can that be possible to be without fault in the world that we're living in? Well, we recognize that ideally, no. But when Paul uses the term that someone is without fault, he means that there is no standing charge against him. Which means if I'm in the world and I'm wrong and I sin and, you know, I've lost my temper, I've said things that I shouldn't have as a Christian then I make it right. I repent. I own up to my sin. I own up to my failure. I seek forgiveness so that I can be without fault. There is no standing charge against me. 
Do what he says for your own personal testimony. Do it for your public testimony. You are holding forth the word of life. I don't know about you, but when I walk into a restaurant to eat, I expect that it's clean. If I'm in a Chinese buffet, I don't expect to find dead mice in the buffet. That has happened, by the way. If I go into a restaurant and I don't think I want to eat food in it because it's not clean, I leave. Anybody should do that. So you come to me and you want to tell me about Jesus. But I know you. I know your dirty mouth. I know your gossip. I know you're cheating on the side. I know you're laughing at the filth that everybody else laughs at. I know how you treat people. And you want me to drink the water of life that comes from a vessel that is dirty. Paul says you're holding forth the word of life. This word that offers life to a lost and dying world. Work out your own salvation. Live obediently that you may be blameless and harmless without fault. Because he says you're living in a world that needs that kind of a testimony. You're living in a world that is crooked and twisted, morally warped and perverse, upside down in so many ways. This is the first century. What would he say today? In a world where 125,000 children are aborted every day. 125,000 every day. When nearly 2 billion people in our world live in what they would call extreme poverty, meaning they live on less than $1.25 a day. And by the way, 70% of that number is in Africa. There's something wrong with our world. It's crooked. It's twisted. A few years ago, there was a particular group that wanted to work among members of Congress looking for more uh, civility, more mutual respect. And so they asked the 500 plus members of Congress each to sign a pledge that said something like this. I will be civil in my public discourse and behavior. I will be respectful of others whether I agree with them or not. I will stand against incivility when I see it. 
That seems common enough. Out of 535 members of Congress and 50 governors, three people signed the pledge. Paul says you live in a world that is morally, spiritually crooked and perverse. I was reading the other day that the state of Illinois is requiring now of public schools, eventually be required of all public schools in Illinois, that at the kindergarten level they be taught an LGBTQABCXYZ curriculum. That will teach them that you can choose your own gender. That if you want to be a boy, even though you're biologically a girl, that's your choice. And this is going to be mandated in Illinois. And I see they've brought back up stuff that they introduced in Brooklyn back in the 90s. Heather has two mommies and, you know, all of this at the kindergarten level. Begin to brainwash Paul says you live in a crooked and twisted world. And they need the word of life. But you need to be one from whom they can receive the word of life. Work at your own salvation. Do it without grumbling and without questioning. Do it that you may be blameless and harmless, the children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I don't think Paul would give two cents for any private claim to Christianity that does not have a public impact in the world it's living in. Gospel obedience will always produce a life of worship that reflects the self-denial of the gospel. Paul's final words, he says, I'm, I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Of course, he's using the Old Testament pictures of sacrifice. And he's saying that your faith and your obedience is like Romans chapter 12. You're, you're, you're giving yourself as a living sacrifice to God. You're offering yourself totally to God. And he says, for me, he says, I'm that drink offering that often the priest would come as the sacrifice was being made and they would pour on it this libation, this drink offering as sort of a, an added dedication to God. And Paul says, you're offering yourselves in your faith and obedience and I gladly pour out my life in worship to God upon your obedience because he is worthy. I will give it all. I will be that final, complete 
sacrifice. This is gospel obedience. It's motivated by the gospel. It's empowered by the gospel. It bears all of the fruit of the gospel. It advances the cause of the gospel. It reflects the sacrificial nature of the gospel. This is obedience. And some of you this morning are saying, or have said, even this week, I can't, I'm not able, I'm too weak, I'm only human. And God is saying, I'm working in you. Surrender. And know that power that brings about an obedience that will bring glory to God. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, many of us have given you a feigned obedience, a partial obedience. We've not done immediately what you've called us to do. We've not done completely. And how many times we've not done it happily. And then how often have we just resisted or made excuses Instead of looking to Christ, looking to his death and resurrection, instead of looking to the gift of your spirit and your powerful working in our life, God, this morning, bring us to surrender. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. Bring us to surrender. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, God's been speaking to your heart about your disobedience. And this morning you will say before God, by his grace, I will seek forgiveness. I will stop making excuses. And I will depend more upon that power that is working in me. God has been speaking to my heart this morning. Pray for me that I will follow through in surrendering to Jesus Christ as my Lord. Could I do that this morning? Just quietly slipping your hand up saying, yes, God has been speaking to me about my obedience and disobedience today. Pray for me. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Others? Amen. Father, thank you for your gracious work, that it's constant, that it's purposeful, and that it's powerful. Help us to look more to your grace every day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.